did you guys hear about uh, what happened at the prison where Derek Chauvin is? Um, oh yes, being held. They barred yes. the guards from guarding him because they're what happened. Yeah. Black. Yeah. So there are African American guards at the prison that Derek Chauvin is going to be at. Um, it's like eight of them. And the warden of the jail prohibited or is prohibiting those black guards to be anywhere near Derek Chauvin because they're black. That's his only reasoning. Wow. That's weird. Like they haven't showed signs that they're going to do something to him or he was just like, no, y'all can't be, y'all can't be anywhere near him. Hmm. That's so weird. That is weird. I don't know. How, I don't know how I feel about it. To be honest with you, it's just like weird. It's like, like what? What are they supposed to do? Here's a hypothetical question, Dom. Yeah. Let's just say you are one of these prison guards, mm-hmm. and you're being t- like, what? You had Derek Chauvin in your prison, right? Would you want to interact with him? Would you want to guard him? Would what would you do if you did? Like, what you know? What do you think about that? I mean, if I'm a cop and I mean, stripping away the fact that I'm a disciple as well, like I'm a Christian, if I'm not a Christian, I probably treat him just like every other criminal that's there, like Mm -hmm. you in jail. You know, I'm here to make sure that you don't escape and I'm here to, you know, hopefully help you rehabilitate. Um, You're you're just like everybody else. You're they see everybody like numbers. You're a number, you know, Um, but like I wouldn't have no personal ven- vendetta against him, you know what I mean? Um, I would ask him a question, like because I'm curious like that, like me personally. Um, I probably have a lot of questions for him, you know, which he probably wouldn't want to hear questions about the mm-hmm. about what he did. But like right. I probably would have a lot of questions, like you know, do you regret anything or mm, yeah. Uh, you know, do you see the error did, of your ways? Yeah. Or, you know, did you, I mean, let's talk straight. Like you're in jail already. Like you're already in jail. Let's talk straight. Like, do you really, did you really hate him that much to kill him? Mm-hmm. Was it wow. purposeful? You know, like what was going through your heart and mind? But that's just, that's me. Like I, I'm curious about stuff like that. I'd rather somebody be honest. Like, yeah, man, I hated that dude. You know, like, t- like, you know, you might as well tell the truth at this point. Right. In prison, but yeah, you can't get tried for the same crime twice yeah no double jeopardy yeah but i don't know that i know some people that probably couldn't be around him so i i get what you're saying jay but that is not why we are on this episode here what episode are we on y'all let me see not counting the under construction episodes we are on episode 16 16 that is an accomplishment. But Sweet 16. Sweet yeah. 16. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, let's have a party, to, man. This welcome is our to episode super sweet 16. Super, super sweet 16. Super welcome. Sweet. Uh, l- l- let me drop this episode so, so we can get to the nitty gritty. Test, test, one, two, three. You know who I be. It's your boy, Don Wall, a.k.a. Moral SP. Welcome to Embrace Matters of Race podcast. I'm joined here by the rest of the team, the squad, Kelly Jane J and the Hobie Carl. Let's embrace, y'all. So, if you're listening to this current episode, hopefully you have listened to part one of the amazing hit pick, Do the Right Thing, in which Jay broke it down for us and we got to have a an amazing conversation about the movie, about the film. Uh, but there was so much to talk about, we felt like we had to do a part two. That's right. Because we didn't talk about the characters really at all, you know? So I thought it'd be cool if we talked about the characters. Um, yeah. It's more in depth, you know? Let's talk about some some motivations or just some things that we liked about some of the characters. Yeah. I like um, it. I'm not going to start with Mookie 
We're going to say Mookie for last. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We'll say Mookie for last. But let's start with the first person you do see. Uh Oh, first person you do see is Tina, actually. Tina does an amazing dance performance in the very beginning of the film. Tina's character. Mm-hmm. Why do you think? Why do you even think Spike Lee had her do that at the beginning? I don't know. <laughs> well, what I do notice is that she's jamming. There's um, familiar music, which should be familiar music That's to true. some people. That's true. Um, with the with the with the fusion vibe but then it goes on for a while and some mm-hmm. wardrobe changes but she seems exhausted at the end mm-hmm. i don't know if anybody yeah. else picks up on that wow i didn't it's yeah. like it's like going through the motions and eventually it's 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 tired it's, it's tiring yeah i didn't think yeah. about that uh, what i what i saw with her it was like okay she's wearing boxing gloves and she's punching mm-hmm. while she's also ha- hearing or the song playing in the beginning in the opening credits is Fight the Power. So mm-hmm. just making the two into connection there mm-hmm. uh, stood out to me. And yeah, I think so. I think there's that level of uh, intensity and resistance and aggression um, mm-hmm. that, you know, we're, the struggle and the fight, um, you know, that, that was definitely, I think, the, the, the theme that stood out to me in the opening credits. And just a heads up, uh, my I have my son with me, my youngest son with me on this oh, recording, um, Joshua. So if you end up hearing some weird baby noises, just <laughs> bear with me. Bear with me here, it's not ladies good. and gentlemen. This is a ladies and gentlemen. This is a family pod here. <laughs> it takes a village. Mm, uh, but yeah, so another question I had is. Is it Tina dancing in the beginning or is it Rosie Perez? Good question. Wow. That is a good question. What um, stuck out to me about it was just like, and I said this out loud too, I was like, it takes guts to dance the way she's dancing because you can tell that she is dancing with her whole body, whole soul. She is putting her whole self into it in a really powerful and vulnerable way. And I think it just sets the film up to say like, we've got something to say here. Like this is a very real thing that we are presenting to you. That's kind of how it set the stage for me. So I could see both of those being true, like her dancing in character, but also as a person and as a black woman saying, here we are and listen up. Yeah. I think um, it might change the dynamic of the story, though, if it's Tina dancing in the beginning rather than Rosie Perez, or vice versa, I guess. Yeah, it's like a the Pareto principle. That one, that moment could change the rest of the the film for whoever's watching, who they think they're watching, um, doing wow. this. Wait, sorry, what effect? Pareto, Pareto. I've never heard principle. that before. It's like twenty percent influences the rest of the outcome. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And it could be good or it could be bad. Who knows? That's true. If it's Rosie Perez in the beginning and not Tina, then I get why Tina's so frustrated because she has no outlet for her anger. Okay. But so if it's breaking not breaking character, maybe breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I'm getting real heady because she's <laughs> really frustrated. It's like, don't even bother coming back, Mookie, if you leave this apartment right now. And dude's just trying to get paid. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You probably yes. could have communicated better, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, we're gonna get to Mookie, and let me say, <laughs> let me let me say this about Mookie, and then we're gonna go to the next character. I have to step back. I said last pod, I believe, that I don't think Mookie did anything right until the last moment. Wow. I'm changing it here. I think Mookie did everything right. Dang. I don't think he made a wrong move the whole time. 
Wow. Okay, bro. hold up, hold up, hold up. We can talk more about yeah, that. Yeah, I said later. it, Jay. I said it, bro. This is the one here. So we're just putting a pin on that till later. Or are you gonna let that? Yeah, I'm just saying because like you're skinning it, it. So, because the listener has to listen to the end of the episode. Go, going back to your going back we'll to your her. apartment to shower when you're supposed to be working or taking longer to deliver pizzas. That's not the right. That's not the right thing. I don't know. Block. Right for who? See, we're gonna get into that. We're gonna okay. get to that. Right. right. Listen, if you're listening, right for who is wow the point of the episode the question who's it right for but did t- before we move to the next character did mm-hmm. tina do the right thing she didn't really do anything but she's pretty static t- tina's looking after her son that's true and that's the right thing right there i think that she's doing a great job watching her enough son. history either yeah yeah, she's all right. Yep, she checks. Um, well, let's move then to. Wait, wait, is that the theme of tonight? Did they do the right thing? I, I believe so. Did they oh, do okay. the right thing? Right. Well, we should we should at least answer that question. Yeah, I hear that. Do you think Tina had any impact on the ending of the film? Like, do you think her actions had any impact? It's okay if no. I think she was just extra responsibility for Mookie to have to deal with. Not saying that she was insignificant, because she's very significant to the story, but I think she serves as extra responsibility for Mookie. Like she is Mookie's extra responsibility? She's adding to whatever frustration is building inside of him throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's extra. The consequence of his... Decision. Not extra. Right, right. Gotcha. Not extra. You're right. Okay, well, the next person we see is Mr. Senior Love Daddy. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're listening, he, he is the radio DJ played by Samuel Jackson. And I, I feel like he's he's, he's more the, like the narrator, really. Yeah, he, the, I don't know. Maybe yeah. like a, a, a soothsayer. Maybe not a narrator. He just... yeah. Give some, not it's not totally obvious commentary, but there's some something there that kind of the town crier, you know, yeah. the, the chorus is what yeah, it would be in the Greek uh, Greek plays. I yeah. mean, he was yeah. he was basically the one who's providing messages about the the neighborhood or about the day uh, throughout the throughout the the movie context order. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, the- what was you going to say? And I think as well, he's just, I don't think he's like, you know, he doesn't really have, it doesn't seem like he has much of a bias in the film. He's just trying to be a voice of uh, truth and a voice of encouragement uh, to mm-hmm. everyone. And um, yeah. yeah. And for his neighborhood. Now, that's true. Now he plays music. Mm-hmm. How do you think his music impacts oh, the block? That's a great question. Because mm-hmm. that's going to be important to when we talk about Radio Raheem. Huh. You know what? Let's Maybe they have a dynamic. We can break it down right now. Okay. All right, all right. But, so, Senior Love Daddy. Yeah. What I think. The music that he plays and what he provides to the community is in stark difference to what Radio Raheem provides. Mm-hmm. And everybody's reaction to senior love daddy's music is different from the reaction that they have for ready Raheem. Ready Raheem is only playing one song, fight the power. Great song. Mm. But as you can see, he's blaring it wherever he goes. When he passes the three old guys, mm-hmm. they're like, man, turn it down. You know, everywhere he goes, it's just like, man, turn that music down. You know? Um, and it seems like he's forcing his music mm. on people. But Senior Love Daddy, people are accepting it. He's, they're accepting his message. Let me say that. It, it might even be the same message. Hmm. They both have the same message, but it seemed like Senior Love Daddy's message is being accepted. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I can see that for sure. I think that's like the biggest thing that sticks out to me is that senior love daddies more just like welcoming and like, hey guys, like here, like, I don't know. He just, he's like addressing people more versus Radio mm-hmm. Raheem, I think is like confronting people. Yeah. I think that's a big difference. He even um, dedicates music to people. Mm, yeah. Yeah. He eats his lunch. For, he does eats his lunch in between songs. Doesn't seem like he ever leaves the booth. No, he doesn't. Yeah, there feels like something very like Greek play about him. I don't know right. how to say that better, but like, yeah. I don't know much about Greek plays, but I know that you know there's these different like categories of people and different mm-hmm. ways that they do or do not like break the fourth wall or move the story around. Like you have the chorus. So I don't know what the difference between a narrator and a soothsayer is, but it does feel like he is eternally in that booth and constantly aware and looking over what his neighborhood is doing. Like he seems to have like a, an extra knowledge of it. Yeah. Um, a soothsayer would be telling the future. And I think Jay is ah. right with the, the chorus. Um, um, Cause no one's projecting anything only us the audience yeah is one person martin and the other person malcolm Mm, dang maybe did i go too far did i go too deep i don't i i that's an interesting theory there can you like explain that the at the very very end of the movie they have two quotes one from martin luther king jr one from malcolm x and um i could pull them up really fast let me just pull them up quotes at the end of do the right thing because i think they're pretty central to the message so the martin luther king jr quote Violence as a way of achieving r- racial justice is both impractical and immoral. It is impractical because it is a descending spiral ending in destruction for all. The old law of an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. It is immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than to convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. It destroys community and makes brotherhood impossible. It leaves society in monologue rather than dialogue. Violence ends by destroying itself. It creates bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers. And then by contrast, you have Malcolm X, Mm -hmm. who says, I think there are plenty of good people in America, but there are plenty of bad people in America. And the bad ones are the ones who seem to have all the power and be in these positions to block things that you and I need. Because this is the situation, you and I have to preserve the right to do what is necessary to bring an end to that situation. And it doesn't mean that I advocate violence, but at the same time, I'm not against using violence and self-defense. I don't even call it violence when it's self-defense. I call it intelligence, Malcolm X. And it's really crazy reading both of those back to back because Martin Luther King Jr. is talking in these kind of like ethereal intangibles of like evil and goodness and destruction and bitterness, these like very, yeah, untouchable things. But then Malcolm X is like, saying literally day to day there are good people in america and bad people and these are realities that we're confronted with and it's interesting because i feel like the dj is more of that kind of intangible ethereal he's like looking out over his neighborhood versus right he doesn't leave his booth in it like radio raheem is like on the streets talking right confronting people right radio raheem sees more senior love daddy owns Mm -hmm. a seat that's outside his window yeah that is really interesting. We're going real deep with these characters. Yeah. <laughs> That's good though. This I mean, this is just a test to Spike Lee. Like, this is the film that he put together. And I'm sure he's probably argued and debated and talked about so many different aspects of this movie as well. But did Senior Love Daddy do the right thing? I think he did. Jay, did you have something? <laughs> yeah, I think that he did uh, with the role that you know he had, and I think he tried to spread love and encouragement and and peace. And even in that moment where it seems like it's separate from the entire film, where it's this montage of 
different characters addressing the camera directly and saying all these different racial slurs or these insults. And mm. he just, at the very end, stops them all and says, chill, you all need to chill. And I think he's really trying to be a peacemaker and he's trying to use music to bring peace. He's mm. trying to be the, you know, the voice of reason and all that. I think that, so I think in many ways he is with his, within his context doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, move on to the next, I believe the next person you do see briefly is Smiley. We have to talk about Smiley. Smiley is, um, I will say he does have a mental disorder and he's definitely wonderfully played by the actor, but. Wadger um, Guinevere Smith. Yeah, there you go. Um, and actually funny story I saw in a commentary that he wasn't even supposed to be in the film. Like Spike didn't call him oh. to be to like be cast in the film, but you know the, he's he's been in Spike Lee's movies and he's friends with everybody. He's friends with Spike Lee. He lives in New York as well. And apparently, the story goes is he just would show up on set every day and play this character Smiley walking around. So the times that you see him, hmm. him quote unquote bothering characters. Or in the background, like in like in the window of Sal's, he wasn't supposed to be like he wasn't supposed to be there. So Spike like wrote him in after the fact. That's oh wild. I yeah. he's integral to the film for me. He is. Yeah. Like I don't think he can hold up without him. He That's is. crazy. I yeah, I did not know that. That's crazy to hear. I chills thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. I think there's one moment that was improvised until spike was like okay i'll write you in and i believe it was i believe it was a scene where uh mookie is speaking with uh pino no Vito. i'm sorry he's speaking with Vito, and uh smiley comes up behind him he's trying to sell him the pictures and he's like smiley not now and then he turns back to talk to, mm. to Vito. Mm-hmm. And then he keeps saying, Smiley, not right, go away. Like, not mm. right now. You know, that's Spike actually saying, Get out of here, bro. I'm filming. Wow, no way. <laughs> yeah. But after that, um, I believe he did write him into the film and, you know, had more moments of him coming around and stuff like that. Oh. But, um, Carl, I want to hear the importance that character is holds for you. Well, um, I don't know if I would have made this connection before we made the connection between Radio Rahim and Miss and Mr. Senior Love Daddy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Smiley introduces Malcolm and Martin, yeah, into the the air. You know, it, it's it's in the mix now. That it's like we understand, especially people. Um, 1989 90 would would know would be more familiar um with with that mm-hmm. than people are our day which is which is the same shame um but that that dynamic is like we're seeing this this love this uh civil disobedience uh versus this radical violent um extremism dynamic playing within some of the characters mm-hmm. um it seems like a lot of the characters have a that dynamic uh you have the mayor damer um mm-hmm. mother sister radio rahim mr senior love daddy uh pino and Vito, um and there's a few others you know they're they're all opposite ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. and without martin and malcolm being there, I don't think it would have been as parent to me. And then, you know, Martin and Malcolm ending up as the brothers on the wall mm-hmm. and and his uh and Sal's pizzeria. It's 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 just the icing on the cake that made yeah. the movie for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think Smiley is definitely um serendipitous. If that's if it if it's what you say it was, yeah. That's what it is. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Did Smiley do the right thing? I don't think he could help himself. So yes. 
that's true. That's true. Uh, I would say some people would say that he was doing the right thing until he followed the crowd of Radio Raheem and bugging out. But mm-hmm. what choice did he really have? He's excitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dang. But from there, we can actually, you actually brought up Sal's famous pizzeria. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can go to Sal and we can talk about Sal and his sons, um, the three of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Sal being the father is his famous pizzeria he built with his bare hands mm. and uh he doesn't live in Bed-Stuy um it seems like he lives what probably in Manhattan where there's probably a good amount of Italian Americans that live uh he states at one point there's already way too many pizzerias where we live so mm. I, I built one here and I would say for me, it seems like Sal is trying to do the right thing the entire film until the very end. I feel like he's trying to keep his cool. Like he's trying Mm -hmm. to like get along with people. He's trying not to have bias. You know, he's, he, I guess he's in the realm of, Hey, you know what? I don't see color. Hmm, You know, like the, 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 I don't see color, not the, the anti-racism, but hey, I'm right. not racist. I don't know what what do you what do you guys think about Sal? Hmm. I can see that the the big thing that I hated this, but the big thing that stuck out to me was when they're talking about there not being any brothers on the photo wall, and he says something like, "Well, I really want to keep my wall full of good Americans," or something to that effect. Italian Americans. Say that again. Italian American. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, I guess that makes a little bit more sense. All I heard <laughs> was Americans. And I was like, so are black people not Americans then? Like, are they not even counted? And yeah, I mean, I guess it makes a little bit more sense if it's Italian Americans. But it's, mm-hmm. yeah. It's still valid. You know, it's like bugging out makes the point like, you're serving people in this neighborhood. Why aren't you representing people? in this neighborhood on this wall. Um, mm-hmm. Jay, Jay made the point last week that it is his business. I think it's fair for him to put whatever he wants on that wall, you know? Um, so I don't know if that's a, if that's a, did he do the right thing sort of thing? I don't know. I, I tend to lean on Sal. That was that as well as him breaking at the end. Sal did the wrong thing by not, embracing lack of a better word embracing mm. his community mm. like yeah. i'm i'm sorry i mean i'm just a person to see like man if if i built my business in this community mm-hmm. meaning that it's because of these people that i'm thriving that i have a business and had this thing for years i'm i'm not an island i didn't do this by myself no matter how yeah. much south says i built this with my bare hands no yeah. the community built it Cause they didn't have to eat pizza from your shop, no matter how good it is, they don't have to eat it. So you would have lost money. So I I would say out of respect for the community, he doesn't have to, I'm not saying he has to, but I think that that is the right thing. It's like, man, make the right choice would be, Hey, you know what? I'm going to have, you know, African-Americans and Italian-Americans on my wall. Out of respect for the community that built your shop. Right. he doesn't have to, but I think he should. If only he saw it that way. Then. If only he saw it that way. Complicated man. Yeah, I think that's just yeah. Or maybe just simple, simple minded. <laughs> <laughs> his uh, simple minded would be his children. Mm, yep. Uh, very simple characters, but entitled. played dynamically. Yeah, entitled, but played very dynamically by the actors that played them. Uh, that's John Turturro playing Pino, um, and it was Richard right in Edson. front of me. It was right in front of me. Richard Edson. Yeah, yep, who plays Vito. This is an interesting dynamic. And you know what? I don't have any siblings, so okay. I, can't, I can't really speak to... We can help you with that. The, I mean, I have cousins now that I fought with a lot, but... Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> And I, I guess in that sense, with my with one of my cousins, I'm I'm more like Vito, uh-huh. having to overcome my love and not wanting to rock rock the boat. 
and it's like Maybach gotta just fight him. <laughs> yeah, but did you stand to gain gain anything from fighting Whether him? From yeah, I mean from your family because your relationship with them, whether you wanted it or not. For Pino and Vito, it was their father's business, their love. Yeah. You know, from their obedience and they both kind of struggled with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Being, they apart. Mm-hmm. Being a sibling, I see what's going on here, you know, the the need to stand up for yourself, to have a position. Um, and even having influencers outside of your relationship trying to steer the, the ship a little bit mm-hmm. um, or, you know, stir up the waters even. I think Muki, the influencer um, that is for uh, Vito, does a great job of, you know, encouraging him to defend, to fend for himself. Mm-hmm. But he's also an, an instigator uh, for Vito. That's true. That's true. That's true. Um, so Pino, actually, I mean, just kind of singling him out. He seems like if if this movie had, I wouldn't say villain because I feel like everybody has, everybody has a moment in which they are the villain of the scene. But mm. um, if if anybody was on was on the tippy top point of the wrong spectrum, I say Pino is on that tippy. Like it just. <laughs> His wrong was very obvious throughout the film. I would say that. Mm. Yeah, most definitely. I think that uh, it seems like he was the most overtly racist character in the film. I mean, that's just my my, my take on it and in, mm. in his dialogue and his mannerisms and his reaction to things. And uh, yeah, I think that's yeah, I think that's that's definitely my take on his character. Yeah, I think he's at least one of the antagonists. Yeah, yeah. Did Sal and his family do the right thing? No. Yeah, I'd say no. Say no. Okay. Well, after that, I think these are some interesting characters, but the young group of neighborhood kids... Which ones? Um, that is made up of Ella, Punchy, okay. Mod, and C. Uh, they're the ones, if you're listening, they're the ones who are hanging out on the stoop. First time we see them, Ella is yelling up for Ahmad to come outside. Um, and Punchy is making fun of her for doing it. Yeah, so they they have a couple of things that they do in the film. And they, they seem to, uh, this is kind of like herd mentality. Hmm. But they have a, a a big moment where they run into Demea, uh-huh. and they have a back and forth with Demea, or at least Ahmad does. Ahmad has a back and forth with Demea, but it starts off that because they're making fun of him. It seems like they wanted to have a problem with him. Hmm. Now, what do you guys think about those characters? It is interesting. I... Yeah, what you said about the herd mentality. I feel like that it feels like another Greek play thing i don't know what to call it but it kind of feels like they like it exists like they are one character altogether. yeah i yeah i agree with that them being one character i would also i also think they're irrelevant Mm. and they're just noise Mm. because they're just responding to whatever else has happened you know, they're just going with the flow. They're in the streets. They're reacting to the, the dude driving by in the convertible. You know, it's, it's just setting the stage. But I don't really think they have any influence on the outcome. They don't. But I think it's interesting that their dynamic is in stark difference to the elderly neighborhood people that what the kids, like, you know, Ahmad being the leader speaking up on the behalf of the young people and how they think mm-hmm. what's right and wrong for them is different from what's right and wrong with the older generation. And you see that clash when D- 
Dr. You know, when the mayor is talking about how, hey, he's had to do some questionable things to feed his family. Yeah. And Ahmad is like, I wouldn't go out like that. Like, you know, to him, this is what's right. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, yeah, like I, I, I do agree, though. They, they do serve as noise in a sense of creating atmosphere to a neighborhood. Um, but yeah. I do think they provide a very interesting dynamic for some of the other characters, too. Yeah. And uh, there's another dynamic that you introduce, you know, the older and the younger, the, the more seasoned. Mm-hmm. Um, the mother, sister and Damir should be very familiar with Malcolm X and, and Martin Luther King. Um, however, I think they're also a reflection of the events around them. And they also react in their own way when things happen, but they, mm-hmm. I don't think they have any influence on the outcome. So whatever they do is irrelevant as well, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first time watching it that I noticed them talking about Black Panther. Oh yeah. <laughs> it does. Uh, so that was something that was a, a new take on the, on my view that, you know, just on, on the characters from my perspective. Um, and it's probably just because it stands out now that I've, you know, seen the movie uh, Black Panther and, you know, mm-hmm. just, being and being more familiar with the character as opposed to when I had first seen it. So it's just interesting. It's like that's in a sense could be one of their role models. Like they're really into, you know, um comic books or something, you know, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and maybe that's just the, you know, that's that that was the age, you know, of the time and and you know, as yeah. well they were younger kids. So Yeah. And and they're also like the only ones that give uh, Radio Rahim is props off of the music that he's playing and how loud he's playing it off rip. Yeah. And what does is, what is, uh, Damir and Mother Sisters have to say about it? About his music? Yeah. I don't remember, actually. I'm trying to think about their reaction to his music. I don't know if we got a scene where he's walking past them. Yeah. I think but that would have been really clever if they had. Though. Yeah. But I feel like if there's anybody that Radio Rahim does respect that he would kneel down to, mm. it would be Mother Sister. I'm not sure about the mayor, mm. but it's Mother Sister. Yeah. That's that is interesting. Yeah. But did the neighborhood kids do the right thing? You have my response. <laughs> <laughs> Irrelevance. It's irrelevant whether they did the right thing or the wrong thing. Mm. Um, but moving from them, an actual big character, the mayor. And actually, mm-hmm. we can do the mayor and mother sister at the same time, just okay. for the sake of time. The mayor. Uh, actually, another dynamic of Martin and Malcolm, in my opinion. Okay. The mayor, in my opinion, is Martin. And mother sister is Malcolm. You, you, see, so? it, you see it in, in, in various moments in which mother sister is very critical okay. of people. That's why she has such a rough exterior. Mm. Right. Um, she seems to have, did? well, they, they did, they both had a rough exterior exterior, but uh, they've been seasoned, like you said, but okay. I feel like with mother sister, it's, you can tell that she's actually went about action with the people that hmm. needed action. You know, she, she says like, you know, I don't like the mayor because he reminds me of my two, you know, least favorite people, my ex-husband and my tenants, you know? Um, and it seems like, you know, her ex-husband, Hey, she divorced him, which is something that, you know, old, the older generation don't really do as much wow. as divorce. Dang. It's hostile. Um, yeah. Um, her tenants, it seems like she keeps her tenants in line. They aggravate her, but she keeps them in line. Um, and at the end, she's also chanting for them to burn down South's Famous. Really? Yeah. She's saying, burn it down, burn it down. Okay. And she um, reacts to, spoiler alert, Radio Rahim's death pretty dramatically. Right. Right. Okay. But the mayor, it just seems like, you know, no matter how how bad his past has gone or no matter how many wrong choices he's made, he's still trying to do the right thing. Like, he's still just trying to make the right choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and not without fault, though. Not without fault. I mean, he is a drunk. Let's keep that in mind. Mm. 
but it seems like he's he's also like a hero even you know he saves the boy from getting hit by a car he tries to tell his mother hey you know you need to not treat your son like that so harshly mm-hmm. um you know he goes and sweeps up um in front of Sal's famous Sal didn't have to give him money it seemed like he was going to do it regardless that he was going to sweep up you know, and help out Sal, regardless of whether Sal was going to pay him or not. It didn't, you know, it didn't seem like it mattered. Um, but, you know, at the same time he had his demons, he, you know, he wanted a Miller Highlight. <laughs> yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that Spike Lee decided to not have kind of just like a purely... I don't want to say good, but like, I don't know, like societally acceptable hero. I think he's pulling from experience. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, it's, I think it's both from his experience, but also a stereotype. Mm-hmm. And so are a number of other characters, perhaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting, Dom, that uh, you made this comparison or the contrast between mother, sister, and the mayor about the Martin Luther King, Malcolm X comparison, contrast and whatnot. You know, it's because of the fact that Ozzie Davis, who played the mayor, performed the eulogy mm-hmm. at Malcolm X's funeral. Yeah. Just interesting there. Yep. And if you're listening, and if you didn't know, Ozzie Davis plays the mayor, and he is actually, or he was actually married to Ruby D, mm-hmm. who plays Mother Sister. Natural. Interesting. So natural. Yeah. Ozzy Davis, D, Ruby D, Ruby Davis. The more you know. Um, did the mayor do the right thing? Irrelevant. Irrelevant. Did Mother Okay, Christy I'm not going to say irrelevant there, Carl. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I that. I think, he so did fast. The, I think he did the right thing. Uh, I think this guy has some, definitely some. Uh, some challenges in his character and everything, but I mean, as well, you have a really vulnerable moment when he has a monologue. I guess when he's briefly sharing a, a more lengthy sharing about his life with these younger kids, and you really start to get a grasp more into the hurts that he's felt mm-hmm. and what he's wrestled with, and then you start to sympathize with him more. Yeah, and and see things from his perspective. And, and I think he's really trying to do his best that he can with where he's at mm. and, uh, and, and given uh, his circumstances. And I think he's trying to be a peacemaker for the neighborhood. I think yeah. he's trying to do the right thing, the best he can and to serve his community and to be there for people and, uh, and all that. And even try to build relationships between let's say like Sal and, and his sons and the rest of the neighborhood. So I think that, mm-hmm. I think he did the right thing. Yeah. I agree. Um, and because you say that, Jay, I think between him and Ruby D, um, their dynamic, as opposed to the, the younger group, is that they're trying to do the right thing. You know, the other yeah. people don't seem like they're mm-hmm. trying much at all. Um, yeah. So that stands out to me. Yeah, yep. Yeah. True that. You know what? I'm very quickly, the officers. We don't even have to dig deep in them. And the three guys on the corner, we don't have to dig deep in them either. We know what the main event is here. Mm-hmm. The people came to hear about Mookie. Oh, man. Now, just some some interesting facts here, because I know Jay loves some facts. Okay? There's some stereotypes in the film oh. and some myths in the film that's depicted in some of the characters. And actually it seemed like Spike Lee did it on purpose. But one of the stereotypes is most of, if not all of the black characters in the film don't actually have a job except for Mookie. You can say senior love daddy as well. He doesn't have a job. I'm saying no, nobody has a job except for Mookie. And you can also add senior love daddy in that as well. Okay. But everybody else is jobless, right? Stereotype that black people don't have jobs. What day of the week is it? This, <laughs> this it's seems, all happening one day. This seems like a Friday because it's payday. 
Oh, okay. Or Tuesday because it's payday. It can't be a Saturday or Sunday because it's payday. I see. Um. Also, when the the guy is driving the convertible, 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 and he's like, "Hey, don't give me wet with the water and stuff like that," and they don't listen to him. That's also a myth that Spike Lee put in it. What is that? The myth that black youth don't listen to people, specifically white people or authority. Like when, um, let's say that, you know, in the same movie, in in the same uh, breath, the police as well have a moment with the youth and they don't listen. In the movie, it just seems like Spike Lee is presenting it like this is the stereotype or the myth that these things happen when in actuality it doesn't happen like that. There's some interesting things to chew on if you're listening, right? Watch the movie again and again and you'll see. But Mookie, I said that I think Mookie did the right thing. When? All of his choices. How down is Hill? I really want you to keep dying on the hill. I don't know. (laughs) Elaborate. Okay. Throw a sword or something. Okay. So, Mookie delivering pizzas. So, I'll go back to what I said earlier about it depends on is right for who. Exactly. It depends on who we're talking about here. So, one of the things that Jay said is, hey, taking a, you know, a an hour, two hour break to go home and take a shower when you're on your shift is wrong, right? To the business, to Sal's famous it is, but is it wrong to Mookie? We're talking about the hottest day of the summer. True. We're talking about this man is working just as hard as everybody else that's in the shop. He's walking up and down flights of stairs. He's carrying pizzas. Maybe it's maybe it's a morally respectful thing to be like, you know what? Sal should allow him to go home and take a shower. He lives at the block. It's like it's almost as if it's like, mm. you know, like the, the remark that Mookie makes is slavery days is over. My name isn't Kunta Kinte. Mm. Yeah. So now his authority told him, hey, you can't take breaks like that randomly. You know, and I get it. Hey, that's a business. You're supposed to follow the rules like the business say. Mm-hmm. But maybe the, it was right for him to go home and take a shower on the hottest day. I mean, he he could have died from heat stroke. This is New York heat. Right? Maybe he, maybe, <laughs> maybe going home and taking a cold shower saved his life. You know, You don't know, you know, what type of, you know, strain that puts on you. So right for who? It was right for Mookie. It was wrong for everybody else. Yeah. So I was wondering, as we were going through all these, where do we set the standard on what is right? When is that established? Yeah. That's a really good question, Carl. It is a good question. And I wanted to get through as many characters as you wanted to go through to see if that came up, but it, it doesn't. And what you just said there, it's whatever Mookie wants. And we're following him, so I guess that goes. But it's not very clear mm-hmm. um, until you just look into the the character himself. Yep. And this this is also based off of a, um, a interview a article I read, where actually the movie reviewers are being very, very as a matter of fact with these characters. Mm. Um, and they were just more so poking fun. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, well, hold on. Like, Mookie's a human being as well. And we live as Christians and we, you know, obviously the Bible is the standard. But, you know, we do live in a world where not everybody thinks like that, lives like that. And they don't have a standard. Their standard is themselves. Right? I feel like Mm -hmm. that says a lot about our society today. People live with themselves being the standard. Is like what's right and wrong is relative. You know, maybe yeah. for some people, they're like, maybe it was right for Derek Chauvin to kill that person. Dang. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm just, I'm just saying what some people might think. I'm not saying yeah. I think that way. No, I hear you. Right. But 
we do live in a time where people hold themselves as a standard and they live and die by what they think is right and what they think is wrong. Would you agree? I'm challenged by that. <laughs> well, I don't think this way, Carl. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Carl's commentary tonight. He's just so direct. <laughs> I'm challenged by that. I get it. I'll continue. Um, Mookie goes to see his girlfriend slash baby mama mm-hmm. during another break, right? That he takes, that he's not supposed to, mm-hmm. right? Now you would say, oh, that's the wrong thing. You can't just be going and being with your girl during times like that, right? Mm-hmm. It might've been wrong for his employer. Maybe that's a big maybe there, but it might've been right for Tina and their relationship and his kid. Maybe she needed that quality time with him. Right. You got a point there, Dom. I guess it just depends on having, like, whether or not he's having integrity with these things. Like, you have, like, we all have needs, and maybe he just needs to communicate with his boss about what he needs to do and get his boss's permission. I don't know. That's true. Well, to be fair, when he goes, but when he finally does go back to work, it seems like Sal was okay with it because Sal laughed it off. He was like, "You, you, you, you got a guilty conscience, Mookie." I knew what, he basically was saying, "I knew what you was up to," and he kind of chuckles about it. So it doesn't seem like Sal was was that mad at that. And Mookie also begs Sal to get paid early, probably so that he could take it to take that money to Tina. So Mookie's communication is hmm. wonky. But yeah. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. His wonky. He has moments. But I feel like Mookie is trying to do what's best for everybody. And that's what creates such a turbulent protagonist. Is because he's constantly trying to, he's constantly bouncing in between people pleasing. And or pleasing himself, right? He's either trying to make money or do the right thing. And it's like he's bouncing in between those two things, right? Um, it seems like mm. the other characters are trying to teach him what is right and what mm. is wrong. Like Mother Sister tells him not to work too hard. The heat will take him out, right? She says that to him. She says, don't work too hard. You know, you have a heat stroke or whatever. Maybe that's why he goes home and takes a shower. Hmm. Yeah. Do you do you think that hmm. Spike made this movie with the paradigm that there is a right, wrong, black and white, like solid truth? Or do you think that he was kind of like, oh, I don't know, it's ambiguous? No, I think it's up for interpretation. Hmm. Because honestly, out of all my years of watching this movie, I never had these thoughts until just until now, until digging this deep yeah. into these characters. I've never had these thoughts, and I've seen this movie a million times. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, it's just so interesting that you've taken such a one eighty, which is interesting because you have watched this movie for so many years mm-hmm. and it's been so formative. Yeah, and I think Jay made the point last time. That's why it's so iconic. It kind of yeah. takes on a different flavor as culture changes. We we can use this as a not as a standard for sure, but as as a way to reflect. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mookie does a lot of things that are standoutish. You know, um, he he pulls Pino inside and has a conversation with him. He could have just fought him, but he has a conversation with him. Um. He does try to get Vito to fight him, but <laughs> he's trying to help their relationship. Hmm. And a number of things, a number of things. Um, yeah, I think he's trying to be reasonable with everybody. Yeah. And he's trying to have a positive influence on the neighborhood. And he's mm-hmm. trying to also get, you know, get paid. He's trying to get it like really, you know, really make something out of himself as well mm-hmm. and and achieve something. And I think as well, he's trying to just, yeah, I mean, just trying to help people to be reasonable with one another and in a sense to try to keep the peace to an extent. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, you know, I think once he sees his his friend murdered, I think that's when, you know, he real he he comes to his senses in many different ways. And I think as well has it is shaken up and it feels like he's got to take action um, in a way that he hadn't before. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It seems like his emotions just boiled up to a point where he had to take action. Like you said, Um, it just so happened that I think him doing that was good for every, I think that was one of the moments where his actions was good for everybody. Hmm. It was good for everybody. He knew the neighborhood people needed a release because their emotions were building and they needed to release. They needed to do something, get that energy out. But he knew also that uh, Sal and his sons needed their lives saved because they might have been killed. You know, he knew that the insurance would cover it. You know, it just seemed like every it was everybody won in that situation. Sal may have, lo- you know, the casualty of his shop, but he's he still left there with his life and his son's lives. But Radio Raheem is still dead. Yeah. You know, it's all still pretty fresh at that point, too. It, it makes right. you wonder as, as you're talking, it makes me think, yeah, I mean, hypothetically speaking, if the if the pizzeria doesn't burn down, is Sal going to go back there the next day and just serve pizzas? Like. I just, I think he would have been done, like in regards to being in that neighborhood. I think, mm-hmm. not, not, you know, you know, even without the pizzeria burning down, which provides a great catalyst to like be gone. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, I think it's like, I, I think he, I think he would have just be, yeah, I think he would be down of that out of that neighborhood after well transpired that night. Yeah, most definitely. I will say, hey, one other thought, just when we're talking about Mookie, and this is kind of unrelated but related, but I like talking about this, so I'm going to bring it up anyways. <laughs> Go for it. Okay. okay, like, okay, one time I made a paper about, like, in an English class, why I think this movie is a better movie than Crash, and about addressing racism. And, uh, and I think one of the big, like, great qualities, and I don't know if you guys out there have seen Crash. Crash was very popular when it came out, but it's definitely lost a lot of its luster mm-hmm in the last 15 or so years since its release. I think because, you know, I think for, for various reasons, and uh, I'll let you guys watch the movie and be the judge for yourself. Maybe, maybe we could talk about that on another episode. But nonetheless, um, I think one of the criticisms about that film that I think is one of the great things about this movie is that I think w- when, when you have all these different characters, because both movies have are talking about issues about racism, and they have all these different characters interlinking with one another over the course of one day and well i think the the great thing about do the right thing is that you have uh in a sense like uh, a a neutral character or a sort of filter that you're really feeding everything through and mookie is that person uh, Mm and that's really being the the glue that brings it all together and that we see everything through his eyes and we really work through him and, and really reading into the relationships and the dynamics of the, of the neighborhood. Yeah. And I think that helps really bring balance to the film and uh, cohesion. Whereas when you watch crash and it's, it, it seems like it's a little bit more jumbled and out of the, you know, all over the place in a sense, and also relying too much on, I think conveniences that happen with the, with the plot. Um, I just don't think it's as effective and uh, I don't think it's as deep uh, and nuanced as, mm. and, and, and as well complex and captivating as and provocative as do the right thing is. And I think that's definitely a lot because you have a character like Mookie who is the, the neutral character. That's in a sense uh, a filter for everyone and kind of the glue that brings everybody together um, this whole movie together. So kudos to Spike for working that out with the, with the script yeah yeah i dig that yeah well any final thoughts y'all on do the right thing as we there's no we're not gonna do a part three yeah. no part three, no part three. <laughs> it's our, and that's okay but but here's the thing we didn't talk about really bugging out or radio rahim and i think that's where that's i true. just unless you guys completely talked about it and my connection was totally awry mm-hmm. and yeah. i missed it we touched on radio rahim a bit but yeah we didn't talk about the, um, what do you want to call them? The guys on the corner? No. The Korean uh, family? The, the Radio Knuckles. Rahim and 
um, and bugging out, like what the, they were the, responsible for. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true. Real quick, I'm gonna lay it plain. They was responsible for the the end results, like bugging out. I, I will honestly, I'd put, I'd really put the the blame on. I feel like bugging out is responsible for. Not all of, but he's definitely responsible for Radio Raheem's death. Most definitely. It them pictures on the wall was not that important. And that's what Jade was saying. Jade was saying, Yeah, I'm I'm down with revolution and all that, but I'm down for something that's positive in the community. Um, you know, she's like, Pitch, pictures on the wall don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. But what's really gonna impact the community in a positive way? But he just had to have his pictures, right? Right. Do you like I totally see that, but I guess do you feel like how do I say this? So obviously, yes, it's pictures on a wall, but it's symbolic. It's symbolic about mm-hmm. African American slash black people, whatever term you prefer, like their their worth and their humanity and like their place in the world, mm-hmm. their place in the community. Do you think that symbolism is ever worth it? What do you mean? Lives to end. I'd rather have Radio Raheem's life than the pictures on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's a valid point. You know, like making the observation, why aren't there any black people on the wall? Mm -hmm. Um, But to the end of, you know, starting what, you know, the, the beginning of the end of Radio Raheem's life, not worth it. Yeah. Or you know. at least the way Bugging Out went about it. True. There's a way to change hearts. <laughs> yeah. There's a way to change hearts. Dang. Dang. Yeah. And I think that would definitely be Martin Luther King Jr.'s more so his approach. And like violence came, but it wasn't necessary. And Malcolm X never advocated for violence for violence's sake. He was just more like right. for self-defense. But yeah, no, that makes sense. That's true. And Radio Raheem, yeah, it just seemed like, you know, rest RIP Radio Raheem, but it seemed like he just got it seemed like his aggressiveness was kind of used against him in the end, to be honest. He's a big dude. He was already respected, feared, you know, he also didn't seem like he had people skills. <laughs> like it just didn't seem mm. like he really knew how to talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was just a neighborhood kid. Like he just, you know, he, he grew up and lived by, you know, taking and being the aggressive one, you know, um, and not being taken advantage of, you know, um, you see it when he goes into the Korean store and gets the batteries. Um, yeah. I want, 20 D's, not 20 C's, something like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, and he's kind of making fun of them and stuff like that. Uh, which to me, being from the city, I'm like, ah, oh, that's just how people talk. But analyzing it more, it's just like, uh, maybe his people skills are kind of off. Oh. Um, and he also didn't really speak to Sal with any respect. You know, he came into his store, he had his music blaring loud. He didn't turn it down, you know, or turn it off or nothing like that. It just just wasn't respectful to begin with, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's that those are all the characters. I'm I'm I thought we had talked about them, but dang, my bad. Bugging out and Radio Raheem, they definitely had a pivotal stuff. a pivotal act on this film. Um, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. hey, real quick, uh, got a couple of notes here. Um, you're wondering about what what day of the week it was when this movie was set. Right. So in some of the newspapers, they have reference, you know, they show that's right. uh, uh, in the film. It's the date that's uh, looking online. It says the date that's being uh, set for this movie was August 5th, 1989. And August 5th, 1989 was a Saturday. Okay. So there you go. Maybe a lot of people were, I know the, t- the conversation that that question got brought up because of like people not working. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it's just because many people were not working on Saturday. I don't know. I just, maybe something to consider there. Uh, mm. Also the weather for that day 
maybe you know it was hot in real life yeah it uh wasn't as maybe it's not as hot as like they made it out to be but you know 92 was the high okay. and that's still hot yeah but i mean the way they're like the way the movie's portrayed it's like high 90s triple digits yeah it felt like it was they were presenting 100 degrees or something yeah but uh definitely definitely a hot day nonetheless mm-hmm. so um yeah that's just some uh just giving you a little bit more context there for you appreciate it <laughs> thanks <laughs> <laughs> sound like you was coming for me for a little bit like it was like let me just correct you real quick while we, I, when we're finished I, I'm not, don't come for me sideways like that <laughs> i'm not coming for you man i yeah. just i'm just trying to be a helpful helpful person here with the no nah, the 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 day that they filmed might have been 92 but in the movie it yeah. was 400 degrees you understand yeah it was hot man yeah yeah i mean and i mean granted the, the date that's being set is in the you know in the future i mean the movie was being made before august you know what i mean so it's hey i mean oh, spike man. lee yeah, yeah when it was guess. rainy yeah that's true. That's true. It didn't rain that day. So according to this, okay. yeah. it's great. Crazy things that you can find out on the internet. True that. Um, but awesome. So uh, guys, if you listen, uh, that is our super duper two times for you. Breakdown double of feature, double feature, two times, double two truth, times. Ruth breakdown of the hit pick. Do the right thing. Um, if you guys have any last words, you can give the last word, and I'm gonna give a last encouragement. Then we're out of here. Good stuff. Nope. Well, here's stuff. the encouragement, y'all. Uh, Galatians five thirteen to sixteen. I wanted to read that for you guys, and hopefully that puts something on your mind that helps inspire you to uh, live a certain way, and hopefully do the right thing. Uh, helps to help you think, but hopefully this passage helps to uh, motivate you to action. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the the desires of the flesh. You know, we all struggle with what we want, right? We struggle with what our flesh wants. And sometimes our flesh doesn't want to invest in our neighbor. Hmm. Sometimes we don't want to invest in the people that don't look like us, Mm -hmm. right? But the Bible says that we ought to love our neighbor. It also says if we bite and devour one another, we will be consumed by one another. And I don't know about you guys out there listening. That's not the world I want to live in. I want to live in a world where we're loving one another. Our communities are growing and these things can get better as we move forward instead of worse. We love you guys. Thanks for rocking with us. Make sure you follow us on Facebook at embrace podcast or Instagram at embrace underscore podcast Hit us up anytime. We're definitely always around and love great conversation like this. Mm -hmm. We'll talk to you guys next time. Peace. Peace.